0: Welcome to Father-Daughter Conversations Podcast, Episode 3.
1: Hi, Monique.
0: Hello, Dad. How are you today?
1: (laughs) I'm doing all right. How about you? I'm
0: doing all right. Are you sleepy today?
1: I'm a little tired. It was a long day at work.
0: (laughs) So this episode, guys, is going to be about our experience with law enforcement. So first and foremost, I want to say that my father was a former police officer for how many years?
1: seven and a half years
0: seven and a half years and i was in the middle of growing up like childhood to preteens when you were going through the academy so we're going to share a little bit about our experience with you know um my dad going through the police academy and then going into law enforcement so the first question i have for you today is what do you want people to know about
1: law enforcement and police work? Well, I think, um, you know, there, there, it's a very complex, that's a complex question, especially in today's, you know, in light of what's going on today and all the all the things that have happened in the last couple of years. But I think, you know, what people need to understand is why people get into law enforcement in the first place. And I, don't, I just don't think they really understand that. I know for me um, and for most of the, the police officers that I worked with over the years and the ones that I still work with today in different capacities, they all got into it for really because they wanted to help people. Um, and that, that's really the main goal is in, in a million different ways. And I don't think that's another thing we can talk about is all the different ways and skill sets that you have to have for this job. But um, basically bottom line is you want to help people. you. You want to serve your community. You want to make it a better place. You want to make it a safer place to live and you want to help people. And that's, you know, when, I think that's a pretty noble cause. And, and you don't get into it for the money, you don't get into it for the, you know, obviously for the, the fame and, you know, the prestige, you get into it because you want to help people. And that's, you know, that's what I decided to do. And that's why I got into it.
0: So that's why you chose. And how did you think that you were going to be able to help people, like, before you started versus like, what you actually saw yourself, like how you saw yourself helping
1: people during. Well, I, I think just like most people, you're when you start and before you go to the academy, and when you first get to the academy, you're pretty naive about the job. I mean, I know I certainly was. I had a, a you know, what I'd seen on TV and what I when I'd gone on ride-alongs, I had a somewhat of an idea of what what's involved, but I had no idea the complexity of the job. And how many things you would I would learn over the course of my career? How many different situations I would be in? I mean, that's one of the things that I almost every police officer that I know says. You know, that that's one of the things they like about the job. There, no two day, days are the same. Every day is different. Every challenge is different. Every shift is different. And so that's true. Um, but that brings with it a lot of complexity to the job. And so you can be dealing with one one you know critical incident. In one minute, and then five minutes later, you've got a totally different one, but they're equally important, equally dangerous potentially. So I, I started out thinking I, you know, I I didn't really know exactly what I would be doing to help people, but over time I learned that that means a lot of different things. So it can be literally saving somebody's life, maybe at a at a you know a traffic accident. I I remember showing up to some horrific traffic accidents and people you know, were really seriously hurt and scared to death. Um, and, you, you know, you do what you can to calm them down, control the scene, keep them safe, keep them calm until the ambulance gets there. Um, I remember one case where there had been a shooting and, a, you know, a car crashed into the back of another car and there were three girls in the, in the car and they were all hurt pretty bad and one of them had knocked out all of her teeth. And she didn't know it. And she was laying on the ground, you know, in a lot of pain, upset, crying. But when she reached up and, and felt her mouth and realized she had knocked out all of her teeth, she just went crazy. I mean, she stood just panicked. And so, you know, trying to keep her calm and trying to maintain, you know, the scene, um, secure the scene until um, other police officers got there and, um, it, you know, the ambulance got there. It was It was tough. So that's just one, you know, working with... You know, things like a rape victim or a child molestation victim or, you know, and then you've got, it's it's just, there's just so many different types of things that you're required to do and have to be trained to do. Um, And people don't, I don't think people realize that. They don't see that. They don't know the complexity of the job.
0: So that's something, I don't think the academy could prepare you for that, like, in a lot of ways prepare you for the actual how do you think the academy prepared you and maybe did not prepare you?
1: Well, I will say that, you know, you're right. It, it can never prepare you fully for, for what you're going to experience day one when mm-hmm. you hit the streets. But I will say that they, do it. they did an amazing job. You know, I can't speak for every police academy, but the one I went to in California and in Gilroy and then later on in San Jose, I look back at that time. You know, I had my run-ins with some of the instructors and, Others I liked a lot, like any any job, but overall, the, they do a really good job of replicating what you're going to do on the street in the academy. So they mm-hmm. they call them scenario tests. So when you you, know, you take a lot of written tests, I mean I don't know how many, just it was an incredible amount of written tests, and but you also do scenario testing where you you know you walk into a room and there's actors that are police officers usually, and they're they're acting out different. Scenarios, different crimes, and you have to react as if that is an actual case. So if it, it could be anything from a suicide attempt to a to a, you know, an overdose to um, a, a crime scene of like a robbery or something, and then you have to treat it like it's real. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had some pretty interesting ones, some funny ones. Some, you know, I remember one one of them was I had to get in a car and drive out to an air uh, an abandoned air strip. And there was a building there with a bunch of boxes and stuff, and there was a guy, supposedly, um, graf- you know, spraying graffiti on the building, vandalizing the building. So my, you know, my responsibility was to get out of the car, put the spotlight on him, call him over, you know, try to make contact with him. And I was told, you know, no, you ha- there's no backup coming, go talk to him. So I, you know, I start walking toward. And it's an ambush, so I turned around and ran for, you know, for cover returned fire but i tripped in the dark on the pavement tore my hands up broke my flashlight dove behind the you know the car um i mean when you when it's happening it's it's real it's very real and they do a good job of that yeah
0: because that's Um, a situation that could really happen yeah Yeah.
1: and then they bring in speakers like they brought in for example a heroin addict one time and she talked about what it was like to be a heroin addict and um and you know so they they really do a good job, but I, um, you know, driving scenarios, shooting scenarios, every every scenario you can think of, they try to cover. Um, and then at the end, you know, then there's also the physical fitness side of it. So you, you know, you're doing you're doing you're running every day. You're doing all kinds of, of different exercises, um, and so all of that kind of leads up to the culmination of you know the end of the academy and. Um, I don't remember the percentages but it, it seems like it was something like a third of the class you know a fourth to a third don't make it through and they told us that in the beginning you know and it, it was true it was uh it wasn't easy it was a lot harder than most people thought and I was pretty old i was I was 35 so I was the the oldest guy in the class and determined to beat out all the young guys <laughs> and girls
0: so what's something? you think that the police academy lacked in preparing and like i can imagine like preparing you mentally emotionally all that i don't like i was saying i don't think they really could right so what what do you think they lacked in preparing you
1: yeah i I don't know that they lacked anything i mean i think it 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 could be longer even though it was it seemed like it lasted forever because there was so much pressure on everybody but i mean there there's still other things that they that they could cover Mm -hmm. but um I think it's, you know, at least in California, it's, it's pretty comprehensive and I don't know that they, you know, they would want to invest a lot more time than what they already do. But there were certain things, you know, I think a lot has changed, of course, since, since I was in the academy. So, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, there's been changes to laws and policies and so forth. And especially nowadays, a lot of things have changed. And so I'm sure that's covered now in the, you know, in the, in the classroom and, uh, you know, out on the on the field. So it's, I think it's, um, but I, I do think it was a really good experience. I, I valued that a lot. I learned a lot about dealing with people and, but also teamwork and that whole concept of, you know, your your fellow officers are, you know, that, that they're your family, they're your team. It, you know, you, they're there for you and you need to be there for them because you're going to be put in situations where, you're gonna really need to trust each other, and that that came through loud and clear when I was there.
0: Did you guys do like any team building or like trust type exercises? How did you learn to grow that trust within each other? Um,
1: not the not the kumbaya <laughs> fall back in somebody's <laughs> arms and no, but you just I think over time you you learn to respect each other because they see that you're you know. You're going through all this stuff together mm-hmm. and you're working toward a common goal and even though you may not work together at the same department in the future because we were from all different departments um, you just kind of you that respect and, and appreciation for each other just kind of naturally grows I think that's it's kind of similar probably in the military and I think you know police departments are, are paramilitary operations and so a lot of those same things apply and you know you learn that you've got to have each other's back, and and I think that you, you if you graduate from a police academy, you walk out of there with that that knowledge and that feeling.
0: Mm-hmm. So, what did you like and what did you not like about police work, about being a policeman? Um,
1: I think that you know every I think every police officer will tell you they don't like the paperwork, um, but that was the paperwork, so to speak, the report writing was one of my strengths. And so even though I didn't necessarily like it, um, I realized how important it was. So if you can't write a good um, report that's, that's clear, concise, makes sense, it's in chronological order, all those things, then you're probably gonna not have a very good chance of winning that case if it goes to court. So it's really important that you pay attention to whatever your surroundings are and what happened, from the minute you got the call on the radio to the minute you you know you wrap up the call, and then you're able to document it well, and I you know that you know at least I was told by my, my supervisors that I that was one of you know I, one of my strong mm-hmm. suits, and I, I I agree. Looking back on, I kept a lot of my reports, and I've re-read them, and you know that that was something I was good at. The parts I probably didn't like. Um, You know, sometimes we're just really the basic traffic enforcement, you know, um, things that were just kind of in some ways boring and kind of monotonous. Uh, But, you know, there were other things, other times where, you know, like I said, it was, it's, it's a, it's a strange job because there, you know, sometimes, especially if you work the night shift, graveyard shift, there are long periods where there might not be a lot going on. And then it's all of a sudden, it's just super intense. For the next 30 minutes or 45 minutes and then it's back to kind of mm-hmm. and it wreaks havoc on your system i mean mm-hmm. your your adrenaline levels go through the roof you know your your heart your your heart rate it goes through you know through the ceiling and then you're back sitting down in a car having to be calm having to think having to, to write or we used to record our report so we we did a face sheet filled out a face sheet by hand and then we had little tape recorders little cassette tape recorders and we recorded our reports and then we turned them in at the end of the shift and they had people that typed up our reports for us um, probably the hardest part of the job was if you got you know there were nights where we might have 10 12 15 reports and trying to keep trying to keep track of all of the things that happened all the names all the all the addresses all the you know everything that happened in that report and then recall it at the end of the night and not get them confused or leave out something important that was probably one of the most challenging parts of the job, but um, there really wasn't anything I don't think that I'd say that, that I didn't like. I guess if I had to pick one thing, it would be dealing with people that weren't grateful and you know that, that, that old joke, I pay your salary type thing um, from somebody who really had no reason to, to just, they're not in a good mood, had a bad day or um, whatever, but you know, you learn to deal with it and, and try to always be professional if you can.
0: Did anything scare you, or what did you consider really dangerous?
1: Um, I you know I I look back now at certain situations that you know probably should have been more thr- you know frightening to me, but at the time you just you just don't think about it very much. I mean you don't you don't have time to you can't dwell on it. Now, you might think about it at night when you get ready to go to bed, and it kind of those images play back in your head, and sometimes they, they never go away. I mean, I've still got a few things that I saw that to this day I haven't forgotten and they, they reoccur sometimes. Um, but I, I don't think it's that, uh, you know, there were a few incidents, especially in my first six months or so on the force where I, I got into a couple of situations that, that I was like, oh crap, how am I going to get out of this one? Um, and you just, you, that's when you learn, you know, I, I had really good training officers. I had excellent, um, what we called FTOs, field training officers. One of them was, his name was Corporal Gaston, and he was just, you know, a guy worked like a maniac. He worked harder than anybody I, I ever worked with, and yet he always stressed officer safety over anything and everything. And so, you know, his whole point was don't put yourself in a dangerous situation. Call for backup. Always make sure you have backup when you when possible. And so there, there's a lot of things you can do to mitigate that, that risk. Um, my department, uh, California, I mean, you know, as far as I know, they still haven't had an officer shot. Um, and part of that is because they're very professional in the way they deal with people. And I think that's, that's important. I think, you know, I, I remember a few, a few situations, with, especially with gang members, where, you know, they're extremely dangerous and you, you very unpredictable. So you really don't know what they're going to do sometimes. And that's the situation I was talking about. I put myself in a situation one time. I was on a dead-end street. Uh, late at night, by myself, and got was surrounded by gang members, and I, you know, they came out and kind of surrounded my car, mm-hmm. and uh, luckily we had a, a gang unit called VSU, and they got there really quickly. Um, so it, you no, know, it, it's um, there were a few situations that were tense, mm-hmm. but I think for the most part, you're, you know, you just you. You get paid to do the job and you can't you can't deal with you know you can't worry too much about it you just have to be careful and do do the best you can in every situation
0: did anything surprise you about being a police
1: officer looking Um, back
0: or during the time yeah i think a
1: lot of things surprised me i think every day was like i said every day is different and so every day is a surprise i mean there were some some horrible things there were some funny things police officers have you know really bizarre sense of humor you have to have. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think I I was that kind of surprised me. I think that's that's where you build the camaraderie and the trust because you you have this kind of dark sense of humor you have to have. You can't Mm -hmm. see the things we see and not have that. So they you know they were practical jokers and and you know I they did they played some my my last night on when I was on probation before I went solo um they played a you know a practical joke on me and it was you know i look back at that i'll never forget it was hilarious and what i you was know, the joke <laughs> <laughs> i don't want really to get anybody in trouble no no they they had uh gas on again you can
0: tell me after if you
1: want to tell me after. no i'll, I'll take it i thought it was i thought it was you know funny they they asked me if i had ever you know if i had seen a a, bo- a dead body uh, you know, oh something.
0: and they jumped out of yeah here. <laughs> so I,
1: and i said yeah i have and he goes but if you, if you handled a homicide scene solo and i said no and he goes well let's go so we i shouldn't have known right then but we went to a empty parking lot in the middle of nowhere it was dark and they already had crime scene tape up and there was one officer there and the, there was you know a body in the parking lot it was covered by a you know the yellow tarp and he was going over and take a look and, so, and that would
0: have been your first dead body. Well, it
1: would have been the first one that I had ha- I had seen.
0: Uh-huh. You know,
1: but anyway, so I went over there to pull the the cover back and it was another officer who was laying underneath the cover. Jumped out, you know, boo, and I literally, I think jumped straight up and started running backwards in the air like, you know, going for my gun and <laughs> the whole third shift was standing over there in the, behind the building just dying laughing and Gaston grabbed me from behind and they all came out, you know, it was like, congratulations, you, you know, you made it through <laughs> training. And then they, you know, they did so. they did a lot of, we did a lot of things that were, you know, just kind of foolish stuff. Um, but, um, I think you know, a lot
0: of people in, uh, hospitals, they have to have that kind of like, otherwise it's, it gets sad, you know? Yeah.
1: I mean, and we, we. I spent a lot of time in hospitals. I mean, taking you when you take somebody in for what's called fifty-one fifty for a psychological evaluation, and you mm-hmm. you know you get to know all the doctors, and you sit there for hours waiting for the psychiatrist to come in and do an evaluation. Um, so I spent a lot of time in hospitals, but uh, yeah, that's yeah. Those were some of the good memories, that, the jokes and stuff. And then it's um, but again, you just kind of get to know the people and there was a lot, <laughs> There was a lot.
0: So what do you think you learned from being a police officer? <clears throat> and what do you th- want people to know about your experience? Well, I, I
1: learned a lot of things um, different. Like I said, it's that you need so many different, there's so many different skill sets that apply. So I learned how to kind of put together my thoughts, um, how to how to speak in public because you testify in court and you also make presentations to the you know the public i made a lot of presentations at schools and to to community groups and neighborhood groups um so that's one skill set learning like i said earlier learning to write in a concise manner because those reports are going to be used in court against the people you've arrested um I learned, you know, the importance of staying in shape, the importance of, of, you know, a lot, just a lot of different things. I think the most important one was probably how to deal with people, how to deal with the public. So you got to realize for the most part when you're, the people you're dealing with is probably the worst day of their life. You know, I, I had a sergeant one time tell me, asked me, Keith, how many times in your life has a police officer come and knocked on your door? And I honestly had never had one except for one time when my father passed away, they came, you know, um, so that, you know, that was it. And, but some of these people, some of these kids have had police officers constantly coming to their house, coming to their door. And so you can see why they have some of the animosity that they have, but you learn to deal with those kind of stressful situations, angry people, drunk people, crazy people, you know, you, you name it. Um, every, every type of person in every type of scenario, trying to, you know, I I didn't speak really good Spanish, but it was close enough to to where I, because I did speak fluent Portuguese, so I would, could get by with my Spanish. I had some funny situations with that too, but, you know, but they could understand me and I could, I could make myself understand. So, um,
0: yeah, we lived in an area where there were a a lot
1: lot of Spanish A a lot of, a lot of Hispanics and a lot of, um, you know, some people spoke you know, some English, but occasionally you'd come across somebody that didn't speak any English, both the victim of the crime and, and then the criminal. And you would have to do, you know, question the, you know, both of them and try to, um, if you didn't have an interpreter available. Over time, I got better and better and better at it and could speak, you know, better Spanish. But, um, so, and that was something else I learned. I mean, learned communication. uh so there was a lot of th- how to deal with with your coworkers and a lot of different personalities there and again um those those relationships how to how to work with very little sleep because um, a lot of times we got you know next to no sleep and, and, and uh,
0: different sh- and shifts all over the place like night shifts yeah. or day shifts
1: yeah that was that was really hard for me because i was always a night person but having to you know work for a while and you know Swing shifts that kind of in the, the, in the middle, I didn't mind too much because I'm a, I'm a night owl anyway, but that graveyard shift kicked my ass having to you know, get up. You would go to bed when it was getting, the sun was coming up, and that was hard to adjust to at first. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of, but a lot of things that I learned. And so what I've realized, you know, a lot of what I learned, I've been able to use in, in, all, in every other job I've had since then. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to do. I have to do a lot of writing now. I do a lot of public speaking now. I deal with angry parents and happy parents and kids with disabilities and you know kids that are, have gotten into trouble. And so, a lot of the same similarities apply. And mm-hmm. I think that's you know I didn't really realize at the time how how I was going to use those things, but I did.
0: What do you um, want people to know? about your experience as a police officer. And from here, we can go into what's happening in the 13 states with the defunding the police.
1: Well, I think you know one thing, I, and I wanted you to mention it too, is how, how it impacts the family life, how it impacted you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think, I don't think a lot of the general public understands how difficult it is on the family. It's not an easy job, and you know, you. Know, I think naively, I mean, your your mother used to help me study. You know, for weeks for the for the, when I was in the academy. I remember for, helping you study. Yeah, to, we made when you, know, you
0: had to remember the streets and all the codes.
1: Yeah, all, you know, little flashcards we mm. used to. You know, you guys used to quiz me, and we used to walk the streets and drive the streets to get to know the neighborhood. No
0: GPS during those. No, times. there was no <laughs> GPS.
1: Um, one of my other field training officers, Earl. Uh, Earl made a had a book with uh, well, all the streets in alphabetical order and the major cross streets and so we memorized those and so the whole you know I, the whole family went through that mm-hmm. you and your mom went through that with me and so yeah. you suffered you know just like I did in, in, when I was in the academy and but once you get out and you go to work and you just you're focusing on your job and you're focusing on your work and you you know you tend to forget how the negative impact that it has on your children and your and your family and your wife mm-hmm. um and you know i don't i'll never know for sure but i can imagine now what it was like you know uh there's a saying that that most wife a wife had um, there's no better sound at, you know at three in the morning to hear that velcro and un, unsnap mm-hmm. and what that means is you know your husband made it home yeah. And the velcro is you know the, the belt and the vest and you you made it home and they hear that sound and they know you're okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I know there was you know that there was a lot of that um, you know fear that you might not come home or you know whatever. I, I know there was I remember one time uh, we had some um, gang members out at gunpoint that had robbed a 711 we had them you know proned out on the park in the parking lot. And you and your mom and a friend of yours from Brazil was visiting. Remember that? Mm-hmm. You pulled up and you go, "Oh my God, that's my dad!" Um, you know. Mm-hmm. And and then when I realized it was, you know, really almost unbelievable to me it was one night early, early in the, you know, three or four in the morning, we woke up and we saw, you know, the flashing lights out our window, and I got up and looked out the window and there was a. You know, they were doing a high-risk stop um, right outside our, you know, we had a two-story house. So I'm looking down on the traffic stop, and they had they had these guys out, you know, at, at gunpoint. And and I was critiquing the stop where they had parked their car, how they'd positioned the lights and, you know, mm-hmm. everything. And the giving verbal commands and so forth. And I was sitting there telling Vera what they were doing right and what they were doing wrong. And and didn't even dawn on me. Oh my God! It's right outside my house. You know, I'm. It just became normal. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's when I kind of like this is this is strange uh, when you just when it just becomes that normal to see something like that every day. But I know it impacted you guys. Um, yeah,
0: I would say I don't know what to call it because I don't know if like you can even categorize like post traumatic stress or whatever. You know, anxiety. I would say definitely like we. I can't necessarily speak for mom, but I would I would assume it was the same, like, you know, fear of losing your husband or your father when they're in law enforcement, for sure.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, if, you, if you're watching the news and, and you hear there's a, you know, there's a shooting somewhere, or, and you know, that's that's the area of town that I worked, or, you know, there's, there's so many different scenarios, or you hear that an officer's been involved in, a, you know, car accident or, mm-hmm. or something you automatically assume the worst um, so it, it that that was you know I, I guess if I had to think of a negative side yes or what I didn't like I guess that would be it you know the, worrying, worrying about not so much worry about myself but worrying about what my family was thinking that that might happen um, mm-hmm. so that I guess that would be it.
0: so I guess we can go into the whole defunding
1: and now I'm really going to get in trouble. No, I, you know, I, I just think it's, it's tragic that we've come to this point. So
0: when did this start, this whole defunding the police idea?
1: It's been around a while in different, you know, different, especially, you know, different cities and different places and, and started out like I know where we were in California, there was a movement, you know, our, the city council there had voted several times to cut some funding. Cut certain programs, not a not a major dramatic cut, but enough to where it was significant.
0: Why? What was the reason? Um,
1: I think it's you know it depends on the department. It depends on the on the government. What you know why they want to do it, but I think for the most, sometimes it comes down to just you know they're they're trying to make their budget. You know the city budget, and if they don't have enough money, they're going to cut something, and and sometimes they choose law enforcement over some other program so that's that's more of a kind of a natural process that that you know whether you like it or not it kind of makes sense because they're trying to prioritize things but you
0: would think they would prioritize the safety of the people and law enforcement gets paid very little already and then they want to go and cut it even more
1: you would think yeah. I mean, to me, that's government's primary role is the safety of its, of its right. you know, the people, of the public. Um, that's why it's called public safety. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a shame that, that, you know, police nowadays in certain communities and with certain people are seen as the enemy. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of young people have jumped on that bandwagon and, the, you know, it's really sad is that they don't know that they don't have the statistics they don't look at the numbers they don't look at the they don't know the the facts mm-hmm. um they're looking at very uh, you know very small percentage I, I read something today that you know two percent of of uh you know police officers or less you know are involved in in illegal or, or you know activity that they shouldn't be involved in but it also said that police officers deal with you know the 2% of the population that's causing the most problem and so mm-hmm. you know police officers tend to see that 2% is kind of through that lens and the public is seeing police officers through that 2% lens of the ones that are doing something that they shouldn't be doing i'm not saying that you know in any profession that that they're all perfect they're all you know they don't have, they there aren't corrupt Police officers. There haven't been police officers that made poor decisions. There haven't been police officers that made intentionally um, bad decisions. Mm-hmm. Just like any in any um, career. But I think it's it's highly highly over or exaggerated the number and the how, the frequency. I have seen so many good officers bend over backwards not to do harm. You know mm-hmm. it, to do anything and everything they can. To help people, um, you know, uh, I was listening to a podcast today about discretion and how you know police officers have discretion. We used to have a lot more, and for different things happened over time, laws changed. And in some cases, what people don't understand is you don't have that discretion anymore. You have to make an arrest, whether you really think it's the best thing or not. You don't have a choice. An example of that is domestic violence. Mm-hmm. That came all came about after O.J. Simpson, and so you, you walk into a scene and you know there's signs of visible injuries. Almost doesn't matter how you know how insignificant they are, you're required by statute to make that arrest. And there were some times where that was a hard decision to make. I, I have several examples of that, but you know there are other other things where um, you do have discretion. And I know I used to one another one of my field training officers told me he started every day with five traffic stops, but he didn't write a ticket. He just gave a warning and, and tried to, and it was a way to build you know, a good faith and goodwill with the, with the citizens. And so I kind of tried to follow that. Um, you know, I, I wanted to keep people to be safe. Obviously, if it was something extreme, you know, dangerous, then I would write a ticket or do, or whatever I needed to do. But a lot of times it was just, hey, you're, you know, you didn't see that stop sign or you, did, you were going a little too fast. Slow down and be careful and be safe. You've got a kid in the car or whatever. So it's, it's um. It it's a it's not an easy job, but I think right now it's a very dangerous time because some of these cities have have. Uh, I think what what happened and really it was it was a dangerous time. We were heading down this path before. Mm-hmm. Um, you're putting a lot of people, typically the communities that need the police the most are often the ones that that go in this direction sometimes Mm -hmm. and I know a lot of those people those families those you know those mothers and fathers and that's not what they want Mm -hmm. you know this is a political a political thing a lot of times
0: so who do you think is to blame for this whole we learned that there was 13 states so far
1: I'm not sure of the number but I I do know it's if you look at the states and the cities that have that have gone in this direction their crime rate has soared their, the number of homicides is 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 just astronomical and it's direct i mean if you don't have enough police officers they're underfunded understaffed um, you know they're they they're just not going to be able to serve as the deterrent that you need mm-hmm. and you know the other side of that is they you know there's the term demilitarize the police and again, it's, it's terminology. People don't understand what that means. I, 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 I made a comment the other day. It's like, you don't want to give police officers a military style vehicle or helmets and shields because they, they look intimidating. They, there's a, and that, when they're needed, they need to look intimidating. It's like, you don't want to send a football player in to play a football game and not give him a helmet or shoulder pads, because he looks intimidating. It's there for a purpose. You want them to be prepared, prepared and protected. So he doesn't get hurt and he's able to do his job. Um, and if you, and if you have adequate policing, you have enough police officers and you're well-funded and you're well-trained and you, you have a good rapport and a good relationship with your citizens, then you won't need all of that stuff. I mean, or you'll need it less often, less frequently. Um, and so I, I really, I really think it's sad because I, I've talked to a lot of people about this, and they're starting to regret some of the decisions they've made in some of these cities. And it's cost a lot of police officers their, their careers. They've mm-hmm. decided to, to move on and do something else. And so what that's going to do is exacerbate the problem, because now you're going to lose the good ones, and you're going to replace them with what? You know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and
0: who are you going to call when you're in trouble? Well, that's it's real trouble. Yeah.
1: And how long is it going to take them to get there? And I, you know, and it's it's ironic because, you know, sometimes um, I've seen some of the people that are the most adamant about defunding and, and reimagining police departments um, are the first to call the police when they get in, you know, get their tail in a crack. Mm-hmm. I've seen it over and over and over again. So I, I understand where it's coming from on, on one hand because I know that it came out of grief and anger about something that happened with a with a police officer but then the media takes that blows it way out of a portion um, proportion sometimes it's outright lies about what happens releases information before they have all the facts Mm -hmm. they get everybody whipped up and angry and scared a
0: lot of it is the media's fault too i i think
1: think a a huge percentage of the media's Mm -hmm. fault and and
0: i think a lot of people they don't want to see like their family members get arrested and they want somebody to blame you know and so or their friends or co-workers so instead of realizing that those people that are getting arrested need to take responsibility for their actions they want to blame it on the police yeah, officers
1: there's a certain amount of that i think you know, and my, you know, you know, I have had this conversation before, but to me, one of the biggest problems in society today is is the individual's lack of responsibility. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone instead of stop needs to stop thinking in terms of groups, you know, tribal politics, all this stuff, and and focus on yourself. Make yourself a better person. Make your your environment a better environment. Take care of your problems, your family. And then your house, and your, and then your community, and then and it'll grow. Mm-hmm. But it, you, you know, everybody. No, it's funny. Some people are, they're easy to criticize everybody else, but they don't look at themselves. They don't look at their shortcomings. What, what's going on in their life? You know, why do they have the problems that they have? They just want to blame it on somebody else. And I think that's that's one of the biggest problems we have today is, is lack of personal responsibility at all levels um, of society. So I, I think we're kind of at a, you know, I hope we reached a critical tipping point. Um, and I think people are starting to see that it might've gone a little too far. I am all for um, more training and more, more options for police officers. I think, I don't think there's a police officer out there that would, you know, refuse training um, especially if it was something that they felt like were really beneficial and made made the community safer, made themselves safer, and made them better at their job. Actually, made them better. Not something, not something political that's just going to appease people. Something that actually helps them. So dealing with, you know, with mental health situations and dealing with people that are, ha- are in a mental health crisis. But this idea that you don't, you you shouldn't send a police officer to a call like that you should send a counselor. I've been in that situation and yeah. it's extremely volatile. It can change on a dime and you're putting a person that's, that might be really good at that at, at high risk. There's a reason why, you know, we get trained to de-escalate situations and hopefully call in for help when when the time is right. Mm-hmm. But you have to make sure that this, you know, the everybody, therapy
0: and stuff that's for later. That's once they're, yeah. maybe off drugs or whatever the case may
1: be. <laughs> yeah, I mean and you know I, I I was at some of those scenes like somebody's threatening suicide or whatever. Mm-hmm. You, you don't necessarily have time to wait. You know, you you start negotiating with them and talking to them and trying to convince them to, you know, to to put down the knife or the gun or whatever and you do the best you can. Um, but you can't sit back and wait to do that. Until the social worker gets there or the psychologist gets there, we're not psychologists, we're not psychiatrists, we're not social workers, but there's a piece of that in every police officer, and we're expected to do it and do it well. And and when we don't, then you know we're we're accused of all kinds of things. So, um, I'm seeing a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. I think I think um, comp, you know, people are starting to realize that the majority of people. Um, although it might have seemed like it this past summer. To be honest, I think so much of this was made worse by the pandemic. Everybody's mm-hmm. been under so much stress and, and and you know worried about getting sick. And a lot of people did get sick, their family members get sick, they might have died. You put that together with the schools being out and all these kids being out of school and at home alone or out on the street or who, who knows where, um, that made it worse. And that's one of the reasons why crime is so, so bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, we talked about this before, but I still say that's one of the, probably going to be one of the decisions that we made as a society that's gonna, that's going to hurt us for a long time was keeping kids out of schools for a year and a half, mm-hmm. um, virtual, just businesses closed. Business mm-hmm. close to too. A lot yeah. people, so you people lost their, their livelihoods. They were under stress. Um, social justice issues came to the forefront. All the
0: political stuff going
1: on. Um, yes, the ele- you know—a major election. It was with an s- extremely divided country, so all of those things played right into this this uh, scenario. And then, you know, unfortunately, police officers were caught right in the middle of a lot of it.
0: So, what do you want people to know about police? work and law enforcement work and also what do you want like how do you feel people should get to know the work of a police what are some things that people can do to really like learn about police work and law enforcement well i think
1: you know you can um one thing you can you can call your department and ask if if you can go on a ride along um you can attend neighborhood watch meetings where there's usually police officers there you can ask questions to and so forth but I think you know going on a ride along is even though it's just a you know a one-time snapshot of what what it's like at least you get an idea and that's that's one thing you can do you know you got to realize police officers are your neighbors they live in your in your cities in your communities in your neighborhoods and our you, family our family. <laughs> and you should get to know them. But they, you know, they coach your kids' baseball teams. They, they, you know, they, uh, they're they involved in, in a lot of different ways in the community. So there's, there's ways to get to know them, like, as individuals, not as a police officer, as a person. And I think that's, just, that's the key. That's why I think, you know, when I was in the police department, I, I ran our PAL program, our Police Activities League program. And so the whole idea was that I worked with, kids and they got to know me as a person mm-hmm. not as a police officer they saw me in plain clothes they saw me in you know under on going on trips and games and things and so it became it was good for both of us mm-hmm. it was once I knew them I could knew their name and I knew that knew about their family and their situation and they knew me it really helped build that relationship and so that type of Community-oriented policing, I think, really works. But you have to have that relationship, and you have to build it somehow. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you don't have enough officers on the force to be able to have, you know, DARE officers or or gang officers in the school, you know, SROs in the schools or grade officers in the schools or in the community, then you're not going to have those opportunities to get to know each other. It's just the police officer driving by in the car and it's, you know, you don't even know their name. So I think, I think that's, you know, one, one thing people can do and, and police officers can do, reach out themselves. Um, you know, I was, you know, in Salinas we had, I don't know how many, I can't even remember how many police officers volunteered with the PAL program. Mm-hmm. So they, they, they coached our, you know, our soccer teams, our baseball teams, our softball teams, our basketball teams archery, bowling, ballet, all of those things, they were parent volunteers and police officer volunteers. Mm -hmm. And these are guys that had worked long shifts and hard hours and, you know, and then still found time to volunteer with kids and go to, you know, go on trips and chaperone. A lot of people don't know that. And so I think that's something that, that they need to know that we're their people. They're, and for the most part, they're really good people and they care about their community and they care about your kids and um, people should appreciate them for that.
0: They can be your friends guys, not just not bad guys arresting you or something. Well, you
1: know, <laughs> I guess the motto there is don't break the law and, and, and you won't have that person knocking on your door, but yeah. you know, when you need them, they're there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I just hope that things get back to that soon.
0: This is the end of episode three.